This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to a Yogi's Guide to Health and Wellness. My name is Kevin Naidu, and I am so deeply, deeply honored and grateful to have one of my teachers on the show today. Her name is Tina Hashimati James. She's a yogi. She's a protector of the animals, a cancer survivor, an environment and animal activist. She's actually the one that married my wife and I as well. I hold such a beautiful space in my heart for her and just love to welcome dear Tina to the show. Welcome, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. Kevin G, it's an honor. And I still remember that day when both made your vows down on that beach. And it was very special and humbling to enable um, you two to start your life in such a beautiful way. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was unbelievable. Mm, thank you. Thank you for such a beautiful ceremony that you created. It's, it's always imprinted in my memory. So Tina, you have so much to share and so many gifts inside of you. Can you share with our audience and just tell them a little bit about you and what you do? I'll try and be as brief as I can because one can go on and on and on and it's never really about me. I mean, I'm so honored that you're serving people in the way that you are and I've watched you over the years do that. And you are really, um, you kind of remind me a lot of when I was younger. I mean, I'm nearly 60 now. And um, I started yoga when I was uh, 22. I started in quite an aggressive way, to be honest, more like a, a fitness practice was how I started. We used to have a lot of rescue horses. We had about 27 horses and we had a farm um, which had all the horses on there and other animals that my mum had rescued. And so I was always surrounded by animals. So I knew right from a young age that I loved animals. And we also had rescue owls. And that was quite something being surrounded by the wild ones. And so I had this genuine love. And because most people who connect to yoga have a, a love of nature, I guess it was kind of like that shamanic kind of feeling that you are connected deeply to nature. And I started to think about, you know, what was happening in England back in the day, you know, to the environment and to the animals. And I guess that's where the animal activism started. Um, I became vegan when I was uh, 10 years old and I've been vegan ever since. I, and I, you know, that word's obviously a bit of a, a difficult word because sometimes I think it's not always used in a good way. And I've got to be honest with you. I think when people are criticizing others in any shape or form, they're not enabling themselves to be filled. That space is filled up with bitterness and, you know, jealousy and fear and anxiety. So then what happens is they lash out at others and it creates an unstable mind, so to speak. We don't have peace of mind. So straight away, I, I started my journey, but I would never really try to force other people on that journey. That was not my job. My job was to get on putting my own house in order. And then I found yoga um, with a, there was a man called Derek Island, who's not alive anymore, but he was on an island in Crete. And I was so mesmerized by 
himself and his wife what they were doing, that I started practicing Ashtanga. And prior to that, we, you know, I was into fitness. That was really my my thing. I'd run a bunch of marathons and um, you know, I'd done training to be on the gladiators in England and I was a jiu-jitsu practitioner and so the yoga seemed like the part of the puzzle that was actually missing. It was the humbleness. That's what it really was. This humility was kind of lacking in my life. I felt I was kind of an arrogant person in my younger days and very judgmental. So the yoga switched that in my mind and it made me do a lot of work on myself. And I'm forever grateful for that. My first teacher was Sri K. Patabi Joyce and his son, Manju Joyce. And then later on, I practiced with Sham Das and Sharon Gannon and David Life. And they're all incredible teachers. And, you know, it's wonderful to have teachers in your life that are very real. You know, people who really are real. And what I mean by that is they're living exactly the life we're living. They're under the same stress we're under. And, um, and they're just people going about their daily life doing the best they can. And so the yoga at that point... Um, you know, was was going to Mysore every year um, and then coming back and practicing, practicing, practicing. And I remember asking Patabi Joyce for about six or seven years, could I teach? And he just said, no. <laughs> and it was just as simple as that, like, no. So actually I stopped asking. And then all of a sudden he kind of, he just said to me, oh, you teach standing series. And that's how I started. And, um, I, you know, I, I really felt it was very beneficial to people because it wasn't too much. It was just enough. And also it was an hour. So sometimes when things start going into longer periods of time, realistically, you know, no one can do it. And yoga is not a negation of life. It's like getting into life. So that was how I kind of started initially. And then I think I, I may have shared with you, I had a really terrible car accident actually a drunk driver hit me when I was riding my horse and I got kind of annihilated. I, I ended up in hospital for six weeks. I broke my jaw. I broke my neck. I broke my back. I had 180 stitches in my face. I had about 160 in my mouth and I was a bit of a sorry. Yeah, I was a sorry kind of soul. I felt very sorry for myself and I got right into my drama and I was really good at it. And, um, that that that's when the yoga really showed up was when it, I was actually at my worst, not when I was at my best. And um, that was when I really started to see the mantra um, and to, to start to understand the kriyas and all the other parts of the puzzle, pranayama, and started to bring that into my life. And that's really how I came upon yoga and then dug deeper into it. Tina, that is that's just absolutely beautiful. There's so much richness in your story there. And thank you just for being so transparent with it. You know, you know Kevin, what, when I think back, I think that I think in life as we're, you know, in our 20s, going through our 30s, I think it's natural for us to have like fairly large egos. But I think what mm -hmm. happens is we kind of lose our, our real that almost like being the witness of who we actually want to be in reality. And I think that part is the bit that we try to push aside. And I think for me, the yoga on the mat, it definitely helped me understand a little bit more myself and also how to forgive because 
you know, up until that point, I had that kind of attitude a little bit like, do it my way or take the highway, I guess was one of my <laughs> favorite sayings, which is so arrogant. And what I realized was there are many ways to get up a mountain and it's not our place to judge others about what they're doing. And also, obviously, we hear a lot, don't we, about teachers. You know, I, I just recently I've seen people, you know, really battering their teachers. And I look at it like this, and this is just my perception. But what I think of is if I'm wasting time finding negative energy with people who are probably a little bit like me as a parent, like when I think about how I brought up my children, there's a lot of stuff I didn't do well. But the thing is, they don't love me any less because of that. Hmm. And so I think sometimes, I mean, obviously, there are obvious reasons why something has to be made transparent. You know, if, it, if it's something that's determined that it's hurt a person, of course, it has to be made transparent. But I think sometimes our idea of the guru principle is clouded by the idea that we forget what the guru principle actually is. It's an energy that moves through, it can move through people, but it moves through trees, it moves through animals. So to me, I don't like that idea of, of when people say to me, oh, I don't need a guru. And I'm like, you know, maybe if you came to India and you just saw some of what goes on there, you'd realize that you're actually able to make your own choices like when you're with someone that you know is not really they haven't got your best interest you just say no and you leave but when you find someone who you really you're like wow they are my friend they are somebody you can share a bit of information with me they might know more due to perhaps doing this longer that's lovely and I think that that's the bit I feel sad for young people today that you know there isn't that as, as there once used to be, not quite so much anyway. Right, right. Thank you for speaking to that so clearly, Tina. Now, I know, I know, Tina, ever since I've met you, and probably way before even that, I know you've, you've always been really connected to Indigenous teachings. How did, how, how did you come to these teachings? And what about it spoke to you so deeply? When I came to Canada, that's really why I came here is because I wanted to work with the first peoples of the land. And I wanted to learn all the different ceremonies. So the first ceremony that um, I got to be uh, with elders in was a sweat lodge. Mm. And so I've been doing those sweat lodges since 2007. And um, then then I was asked to, to go into a star lodge. And then I did a vision quest. Hmm. And then I started doing more ceremonies and I started to get to know all my elders in the Lillooet Nation, the Squamish Nation and the Statlium Nation. And then also back in the day, I went to America, Sedona, and I got involved with some Hopi elders there. That was where I, I kind of learnt a few of their songs. They, they offer a song and, and some of them are ceremonial songs, so we can't sing them. And other songs were offered up. And we sing them so we can all gather together and create this kind of massive ceremony. And I started to understand what it was like. These people had the greatest forgiveness in their hearts. And I felt at home, to be honest, Kevin G. I felt like yoga mm. had come home on this land. And I just wanted to work with them all the time. And so I started then deciding that I wanted to go and do a sun dance. And so I offered my fabric. I offered my tobacco. 
And then I started to learn all the teachings, how to make drums honorably with my elders, how to, um, you know, prepare for the sun dance. And I'm in my fourth year. This year will be my fourth year. And it won't end there. I'll, I'll keep going because I'm just a rookie, really. But these mm. ceremonies are very empowering. And in all honesty, they're pretty much what's kept me alive through many different tragedies that have happened in my life. And, and also because I work with a lot of people with mental health issues. It's very helpful for me to have something I can go home to. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And what a beautiful place and foundation to to teach and live by, um, by those sacred teachings that hold so much resonance within you. Yes. And do you know, Kevin, somebody asked me, would you run your own sweat lodges? I mean, I've been doing sweat lodges with my elders for probably getting on for 12 years now. And the answer to that is no, I wouldn't. Why would I when it, it wasn't my original tradition? And also I have the elders there. So I will always ask them. In the next 20 years, I'll still be asking them and going and doing those ceremonies. And although they very often ask me to lead songs and sometimes around, that's as far as it goes. Because for me, I just feel honored that they even allow me into that space. And I feel humbled by that, to be honest. And I asked them about, you know, the outfits, like what could I wear the, the ribbon dresses? Am I, um, you know, am I even in a position where I could do that? And so now I wear the ribbon skirts because obviously they don't like women wearing trousers. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of a, a wonderful thing that, you know, I, I always wore trousers. And so now I get to wear these beautiful ribbon skirts. And I, I kind of honor the feminine in me, although there's many other parts of me, but I feel that. And I also feel it's very good for our youth because a lot of young women, when they're on their moon cycles, it's almost like they, they get kind of pushed to one side and they don't get to feel the ceremony of how beautiful it is to have a moon cycle and that you are the life givers supported by the young men. And so to me, this is the bringing together of the feminine and the masculine. And also they, them, their, um, you know, all our communities. And, and I was very honored because uh, not last year, the year before, I got to work with a transgender, beautiful holy being. And it was the first time ever in a Sundance. And our chief was incredible. He was just so wonderful. And to see this changing in, in our modern world, under the, the same practices of ancient practices, that was absolutely mind-blowing. And I felt so grateful that I got to witness that. And um, mm -hmm. wow, I mean, it was just something that made me realize there is hope, even though there's a lot of hopelessness, there's also some wonderful things happening. I love, I love that. I love that you just shared that. And I love how you just close that too. There is so much to, um, to be grateful for, to be thankful for and opportunities for us, even in, um, this time of the world we're living in right now. For sure, Kevin. I mean, it's been a difficult, it's been a difficult year, but I think it's a year of opportunities. Mm -hmm. That's how I've looked at it too. Ever since this whole thing started, that was the first word that came into my, my awareness was opportunity. And for me, it was an opportunity to go deeper inside and to look deeper within and uh, to really tune in to all aspects of self. Do you know, I, 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 I mean, I had a yoga studio, as you know, for 10 years. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, I used to teach everywhere, pretty much trainings and all sorts of things. And now I just do year long programs with uh, different groups of people. And I love the idea of going deeper. I always felt that there was like just a chosen few people that were able to sometimes be manipulated a little bit within certain fields. And I feel like it's given us an opportunity to not do that anymore and to actually really consider the teachers that we um, we get to share space with mm-hmm. and to actually value them. I think that there was a lot of undervalue of um, young teachers. For sure, it used to be something that used to break my heart a little bit you know, to see the way some young teachers were taught. And then the next thing, I never saw them again. And yet they were incredibly talented and very visionary people. And just because of the fact that they couldn't survive, basically, on some of the money that they would have as an honorary. And this also goes back to Indigenous people. You know, back in the day, one of my teachers that uh, makes smudge, she goes and collects the medicine and she later showed me how to do it. And I said to her, you know, I do want to give you some funds for this because these people have no money at all. And I said, I don't see why I get to sell some of my yogic practices and yet you don't. And you're made to feel bad about that. And so I've always believed that energy is time and space. And and there is a sharing. In the olden days, we might have shared, you know, our apothecarian medicine. We might have shared a blanket. We might have shared different things like that. But nowadays, people do actually have to pay their rent. So to me, I always offer my elders, a lot of them, you know, it's very hard to give them money, but I always, I put it in red fabric, I put my tobacco, and I I really do want to honor them for their time and their energy and the deep healing. And this is something I don't think happened with young teachers. I think a lot of them were a little bit abused to some degree and and uh, and it breaks people's hearts and then they don't want to teach anymore. Right. I've seen that. I've seen that happen as well. And I think that's such an important thing to speak to. And I'm so glad that you just brought that up and share, shared about that experience um, from both the yoga perspective, but also um, from your friend and, and how she looked at that and how you supported her through uh, your own way. So thank you. So if I was to ask you, Tina, If you can say one thing to everyone on the planet right now, with everything going on, what would that be? I always admired Jane Goodall. I thought the woman, she's a legend. Mm -hmm. And I loved her, I guess, because of my animal activism background. I love what she did and how she cared about the children, setting up programs. So there was a film called Racing Extinction. It's a really brilliant film. And if I was going to share something, especially for young men, young women, they, them, they're all people on their journey, that for me, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Absolutely. Like the darkness we need, sometimes when we're in our darkest places, that's when we are at our very best. And I think that we've got to stand together. And instead of criticizing millennials, we got to stand together and actually realize that we've created a lot of those problems my age group have for sure. And I want to support the young people and do everything I can um, to, to bring about something for the future that will help us move to the light together as one body. So, yes, that saying would be, um, you know, don't curse the darkness, but find the light and find it in your own heart. And I think if you if you can do that, 
you're going to have a much more joyful experience through difficult times. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Tina. I know everyone will resonate with those words so much and just allowing ourselves to be a bit more compassionate and gentle with ourselves as we navigate our own individual journeys um, in this life and our own path. Yes, because my teacher once a long time ago, he said, finding fault with others disturbs peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that a lot because I was thinking, when you hear or you read people writing terrible things on the media or on Facebook, and it seems to have been like quite a big thing that's been happening a lot, and people criticizing people for speaking their truth. You know, if some people have one idea of what they're doing and other people have another idea, it's not our place to judge that. You know, the work that we have to do is so difficult on ourselves. You know, the idea of when Sri Brahmananda said, put your own house in order. I didn't fully understand that until later on. And I'm like, wow, I haven't even got time to look about what other people are doing because I've got so much work to do on myself. It kind of makes me laugh when I think about that because I'm like, you know, wow, this is this is such a, a journey. And And, you know, once you start to look at yourself truthfully and you start to look at the emotional, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, you actually haven't got time to start writing ne negative stuff about other people that is of no help whatsoever. It's not going to help you, and it absolutely isn't going to help them. So remembering that yoga is supposed to be that yoking, that union, and the indigenous people say all my relations. So that doesn't mean everybody I like and the people I don't agree with. And It doesn't mean that. It means that we actually bring everybody together, um, no matter where they're from, what the color of their skin, what their beliefs are. And I've always believed that. I totally agree. My, you know, part of my dharma is accessibility and bringing this practice to all bodies, all races, all colors, mobilities, uh, disabilities, no matter what. But there's so much power to meet everyone where they're at. So I would love for you to um, take our audience through a tool or an exercise to support them on their healing journey, if that feels okay for you. Yes, I, I'd love to share there's so many things I could share, but I want to share something in particular from the Algonquin Nation. And they, they were um, neighbors of the Mohawk and the women there. And I'm not taking anything away from the young men and all the other beings that are in our lives. In fact, I feel the feminine is inside all of us. It's the that Shakti. It's like that Shiva Shakti sandwich. And whenever I heard this song, it always made me feel so good because we have, you know, so much water in our own body and also to protect the water around us. So I want to share with you, Janice, one of my elders, made this drum and her husband painted it with the four thunderbirds. Beautiful. And um, this drum, it, uh, the lodge that we are in in the, the Sundance is a thunderbird lodge. Tom and Verge, Tom is our Sundance chief. My elders are Verna Mumsey and Barry and Clara and Carol, and they're all very special people. So I want to honor those people and I want to honor the Algonquin Nation. I'm going to sing this really slowly. Okay. And if you feel called, maybe I'll do it once all in one go, and then maybe we'll just do it once slowly so everybody could just kind of mull the words over. It's the water song, and it's a beautiful song.
So it literally sounds out like this. Repeat it after me. Nibi. Nibi. Wobble. Wapo. And I yen. And Aki. Aki. Nisqui. Nisqui. Nibi wobble. Nibi wabo. Heya heya. Heya heya. Heya hey. Heya hey. Heya heya. Heya heya. Heya ho. Heya ho. I buy down and I honor the good water. The good air that we breathe, the good winds that embrace us, the cool rains that purify us, the good sun that nourishes us, the furred ones, the feathered ones, the finned ones, the standing ones, the seated ones. We are the people that have to come together and we have to protect the trees, we have to protect the animals, we have to protect the children, we have to protect each other. There's no time to be wasted. This is our one and only get out of jail card, I believe. I think the pandemic was brought here so that we could really truly see who we are and to actually work for a better life. And that means not taking more than we need and walking more lightly on the earth and loving each other that little bit more. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tina. That was just such a gift from from the depths of my soul. I am in so, so much gratitude for you um, and all the beautiful conscious work you're doing for me, for each of us, for the planet, um, for Gaia. So thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for your prayers, Kevin. And I, I, before you go, I'll share one very quick story. So a long time ago, there was a journalist and she was in a, a church in Rome. And there was a wall at the back of the church. And it had like a little hole. And one day, this journalist, they were praying. And the journalist asked, what's behind that wall? And he said, oh, that there's 12 nuns in there. And one of them had been in there for 68 years. And the, the journalist just said, why? And he said, because they're praying for us, all of us. And I never forgot that. And I thought, wow, when, when you go and you see people praying, and I'm really grateful for you praying for me because I need it. So thank you so much. We need the prayers for each other, from each other, to each other. Thank you for having me. I wish you the most beautiful, blessed rest of your day to all my relations. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Yogi's Guide to Health and Wellness. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Kevin Naidu. Technical production by Sam Robinson. The manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Thanking again my amazing guest, Tina, 
and hoping each of you have an amazing day remembering that you're beautiful, you're loved, and you're worthy for you just being you. Namaste. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.